The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of HTM Tech brought to you by the HTM Podcast Network. We can be found on Facebook and Twitter by searching at the HTM Tech Pod. To listen to the podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Castbox, all those other podcatchers. We show up on Podbean as well. I am Big Joe. And I'm Mike. Back for another thrilling episode of mm. HTM Tech. Good to be here. Good to be here, man. And for our second episode, uh, you guys missed a little bit of the outtakes at the beginning, a little bit rusty with this is literally our only second episode. I, I'm in such a rhythm with Turnbuckle Talk. We've done 140 episodes of that, of that show. This is just number two. So I'm still getting into my rhythm. We have a fair amount to go on the run this week, Mike. And the first topic on our run here is a bit of an interesting one. When I saw this, um, sort of in pro wrestling style, my head almost kind of exploded when I heard this line. Bill Gates claiming that Microsoft Windows Mobile could have beaten Android at some point. What do you think on this? This is absolutely absurd, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a testament to his uh, his arrogance and his his narcissism that uh, he he feels that didn't he say that they missed the window by three months because if they had just gotten it magically onto some Motorola device, the whole history could have changed. I, I just don't buy it at all when you actually look into. Um, Microsoft's practices and their philosophy going back. And they were just late to the game. We had first, we had Apple getting in there with the App Store and they just, they developed that relationship with the developers. They they had a solid API system and then, you know, we had BlackBerry that, that came along and then Windows Mobile came along and just nobody wanted and uh, no, nobody wanted to develop for those platforms because there just weren't the the it just it, it it didn't make sense. There wasn't that that system kind of in place there properly. That was a big a big issue of why that just fell flat. Yeah, you made some really good points there. Number one, yeah, what the iPhone was announced in two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Windows Mobile didn't really come to about what two, three years later into fruition. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing too, and you mentioned that people not wanting to work with them. Well, if, if you, there's actually some really um, good stuff you can see about this. Uh, specifically, I was watching a really good um, synopsis of the history behind why Windows failed and how they could have saved. It's actually on YouTube. I'm just going to pull this up for a sec. So if you want to look this up yourself, it's a really good rundown. It's uh, what's the site? It's called Business Casual, mm-hmm. why Windows Phone failed and how they could have saved it from November 9th. And the major thing that stuck out to me, Big Joe, is... Microsoft's hard-headedness in terms of working with uh, cell phone manufacturers and developers. They wanted to be like Apple, Mm -hmm. but they didn't make their own hardware, and they wanted to exercise all this control over the cell phone manufacturers, whereas Google is already paying attention to this as of 2007 and had more of an open-source mindset towards Android. And when you have that philosophy going back so far and Microsoft, by contrast, wanting to have their fingers in all the pies, telling people how to do things and charging licensing fees, I'm sorry, I don't know where Bill Gates' (laughs) head is at with that that statement here. 
I don't think anything would have changed philosophy. I think it was mm. already there. Like nothing, like nothing could have saved the Windows Mobile in that case. It would literally be literally at the point where you would go to up here in Canada. I guess at the time would have still been Future Shop. Now it's Best Buy. Where if you would have gone to some other place, and you, if you, it would, it'd be like if you went to the store at that point in time and said. Yeah, sir, what, would you, what are you looking for a phone? And if you would have said, yeah, I'm looking for a Windows phone, I think they would have laughed at you because they would have been, like, uh, why? It, it was like back in the day going to McDonald's and going through the drive-thru and, and asking for a coffee. They would be like, really? You know, now they, 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 make, they make a good coffee, but back in the day, it was, it was terrible. So and when you used to go into the electronics store and even mention the word Windows phone, they would look like you had two heads. And the sad part, and a lot of tech people on the internet agree is that this this should have been Microsoft's game to win mm-hmm. because actually I saw another good video they were they were talking about is an i is a Windows phone useful in 2019 and they were showing the last model which came out I think it was in 2015 this had some really great tech for the time the camera was really great uh not a lot of people realize that Windows before anybody else uh was the first one to have like uh, tabbed, uh, like a tabbed mm-hmm. interface on the phone, even yeah. before Android and iPhone got into this. Like I said, the processor was great for the time. This was a really beefy phone, but there were no third-party apps. There was no Instagram. There was no YouTube. There was nothing that, to make it relevant. And, and now, I mean, these days, if, if you still are rocking a Windows phone, you basically have what? Netflix? Mm-hmm. And uh, basic call functionality and, and basic email, and that's about yeah. it. So it's it's pretty much it's pretty much lights out at this at this point. And the, I believe the device you're referring to, I believe Nokia. Uh, I think it was the Nokia Lumia. I it was a it was Lumia, called. yeah. And uh, not the, even a Nokia because they, they basically they basically tanked Nokia. Mm-hmm. They're 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 not existent now anyway. That's another thing you can you can hold against Microsoft is a one yeah. once mighty company is just gone. Um, they swallowed them up and what eight thousand job losses later yeah. when when they finally folded in two thousand fifteen. Mm-hmm. Just just a just a sad sad story for that company. Well, at the beginning of when and cell phones really started to get popular, Nokia and Motorola really kind of dominated that market. And um, you'd mentioned that uh, Lumia phone. I mean, some of those later versions of that, the hardware itself was rather impressive. That the cameras are really robust, really mm-hmm. a lot of megapixels. Although, if you're a person that's really into photography, you know that more megapixels doesn't necessarily mean a better picture. It's really in the quality of the lenses. And uh, and then now, especially with our camera phones becoming the camera that people are carrying around with the, the, the Pixel, with the iPhone, with the, the Samsungs, that a lot of stuff is being done software-wise with, with uh, photography and, and getting it to look really good so that the average person can take a really good picture without even really trying. So, But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that, that should have been good, but just they were late to the game. They just they, – they, they it was a – there's some pretty big missteps there. I, I think it, it, it could have been, but it just it was doomed to fail. And, and it was funny that Gates uh, said a couple of interesting things. He did mention that maybe the right people were in place. And, mm. and I think we, we both know who, who he's probably referring to here would be a Mr. Steve Ballmer, yes. who headed up Microsoft until 2014 and famously um, derided the iPhone, mm-hmm. uh, saying, oh, business people will never want that. It doesn't have a keyboard. And then... In the same interview, when with the, in that infamous interview, he also, when they were yeah, asked, yeah. like, because the journalist actually could see the writing on the wall, whoever was asking him the questions, are you afraid? Like, are you worried about this announcement and this this disruption that Steve Jobs is causing with this this iPhone? He says, well, look at our just sales figures. We're totally fine. 
just just no no foresight just just pure arrogance yeah and he was even asked about this particular product the ipad and then he kind of scoffed and laughed at but "Eh, whatever i mean and they just they blew them out of the water with that now we're seeing some resurgence uh with the surface stuff but Actually, briefly, kind of on that, because we mentioned in our first episode, we were talking about some of these new Surface products. Well, that Surface Pro X finally kind of came out, and some developers that looked at it, and um, very, very rough start. Essentially, this is uh, doing... uh, Basically, what they're running operating system-wise, it's very similar to what they called Windows RT. It's basically, it's a dumbed-down version of Windows, and there are a lot of apps that aren't even compatible with this product, which is so unfortunate. that they Basically, you go into the marketplace of all the apps, and you can even download some apps that you just can't flat-out use. It's not compatible. So they're not even separating the apps that are compatible and would actually work with it. It's so unfortunate. It, it looked like a device Yikes. with a lot of uh, some power, but because it's not running... It just it, it's it's been an ongoing issue with Windows. They have this dumbed down kind of version, and it just it's it, it's it just doesn't work. And, and if the the hardware just can't handle it, then it just it again it just doesn't work. Yeah, and I'm and I'm starting to have second thoughts about what I saw with the uh, the Duo. Their their answer to the iPhone and yeah. the the Samsung Galaxy, which is coming out next holiday season. And well, I'm well, I admit like it has a fairly nice design. It almost seems to me to be a little cumbersome now. Do we really need dual screens with a hinge at this point? I mean, does anybody asking for anything above and beyond their single screen? Hasn't this already been tried? Even though, yeah, maybe it's more elegant and has an aluminum case, but I don't know. It just seems more than what we need. It's only saving graces that's running Android. Yeah, I know, exactly. So finally, they they bowed in and and gave in to what they were trying to suppress all these years. Uh, Joe, what did you think about the whole Bill Gates blaming this on the antitrust action? The fact that mobile Windows Mobile never got off its feet because antitrust issues got in his way and he was distracted. It's almost kind of the buzzword right now, the antitrust. And, and even uh, slightly to the other side with Apple, even if you go on to apple.com right now, uh, there's a thing all about their privacy and they're really explaining, you know, we really have your privacy, your best interests in mind and really kind of going into detail. And, and you know, if there's anybody that would be willing to trust it, it, it definitely could be Apple potentially. But it just, like I said, the antitrust thing seems to be a buzzer right now. I think it's just a cop out. Would, he just doesn't want to admit that just Windows Mobile sucked. Absolutely cop out and ironic <laughs> too, because I'm yeah. going to read you a little quote. This is from. Um, um, from The Verge, from June 24th of this year, article entitled, Bill Gates says his, quote, greatest mistake ever was Microsoft losing to Android. Um, this was before the recent remarks. And there's one telling quote here that that sums up, um, I believe, again, his narcissism and, uh, yeah. and arrogance. Here's the quote. Uh, where did I have this? I just had it right now. Once it's a, okay. Quote. It's amazing to me that having made one of the greatest mistakes of all time, and there is this antitrust lawsuit and various things that our other assets like Windows and Office are still very strong. So we are a leading company. If we had gotten that one right, we would be the leading company. Right. But oh well. So again, <sighs> you want it to have an, a monopoly, but you're blaming antitrust <laughs> right? issues on it. <laughs> Uh, mind blown, Joe. Mind blown. Mind, mind blown. And yeah, I mean, it, it's really no surprise, you know. And you had mentioned Steve Ballmer, and I, 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 we mentioned it briefly in the last episode. It just still in my mind. I can't get that opening from that one conference out of my mind. 
developers, 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 <laughs> developers, developers. De- and, and there was one where they did like some kind of remix with some uh, weird kind of music. I, I, I can still go back and watch that and just almost piss myself laughing. Microsoft is such a strange company. They they do so many things really, really well. And with other things, it just sits it's mind-boggling that, that that they still that, that it just doesn't feel like they're on the same plane of existence as the rest of us. Yeah, you know what? I think they just need to concentrate on what they're good at. Uh, number one, they're the market. leading in cloud computing right now. Sony had to basically bow to them yeah. to say, "Hey, we need we need to join in on this to make PS5 um, relevant in the Google Stadia era." Of course, obviously, their operating system still top notch, being used worldwide. Office yep. is a major staple of, of businesses, yep. and that's why I'm I'm a I'm a proponent of this antitrust uh, stuff that the Department of Justice and the FTC are trying to undertake in the U.S. And and if you know, just for the listeners, if you really want a good history of of antitrust in the U.S. leading up to this, you can go to Ars Technica, mm-hmm. November fifth, two thousand nineteen, uh, Antitrust One Hundred One: Why Everyone Is Probing Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. It's kind of a reminder of how AT&T used to be the phone provider in the U.S. And in Mm -hmm. 1984, antitrust uh, forced them to break up into seven smaller companies. I think that's a good thing for the industry. I think think big tech needs to focus on what they're good at rather than trying to be a jack of all trades than a master of none. And I think this is a big lesson for Microsoft um, to say, okay, you you know how to do cloud computing. You know how to do OS. Leave the cell phone market to Apple. And to to Google, I, th- I think they've basically yeah. got it right at this point. It's it's hard for anybody else to kind of get in there now. And they especially dominate the, the enterprise market, the business market. When you, when you go into any kind of business, whether you go to any kind of manufacturing, any kind of plant, like they're all running some version of Windows at some point or in their systems. So, I mean, that's clearly an area where they, they dominate. And you had mentioned with, uh, you know, just the, with Microsoft Windows Office, you know, even on the Apple platform, you know, some of the best original Mac and uh, OS X apps were the office apps you know they, they even in that apple II, there was a lot of microsoft software in that so that it, it, it's something that they that they do very well but some of the things that they just need to steer clear of because i, I just don't think that they just they don't fit into those markets and yeah like i said it's that philosophy they, they want to have it all and, and at this point we see what that philosophy the the, the, the trouble that got them into so hopefully a, a major learning lesson for for gates and co mm-hmm Absolutely. Now, for our next topic here, you uh, briefly mentioned it, and we want to get into this because uh, you and I are both gamers. Good segue. And I know that a lot of our listeners are also gamers. We are talking Google Stadia here, Mike. Now, this is something that's been kind of brewing for a little while. I watched the, the presentation where this was kind of introduced and, and brought about. November 19th is when it's coming out. And the, the big thing to kind of note out here is I'm, I'm bringing up the, uh, the screenshot of this so I can give people an idea of the list of games that they're launching with, which is actually rather impressive given when, uh, how new and everything this is. So the notable games are they're going to be available at launch. Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Destiny 2, the, the entire uh, collection, Just Dance 2020, uh, yeah. Mortal Kombat 11, Red Dead Redemption 2, that, that, that's a big surprise, that one, Rise of the Tomb Raider, uh, Rise of, uh, sorry, Shadow of the Tomb Raider Definitive Edition, and then the original Tomb Raider Definitive Edition. So they have a, a very short list of exclu- of, uh, of available ones there, but some very, very top-notch ones. Red Dead Redemption 2 was a big surprise for me. That is a very robust, very big game, and it's going to be available on this platform. Day one. 
yeah, and if they if they get that right, then it's a, it's a no brainer to see GTA Five come there, especially since it's still in the top ten best selling list to this day. Yep. What six years later after release, it's it's now <laughs> no brainer the the number one selling game of all time. You know that list is pretty pretty good. The one thing that's lacking though, Joe, exclusives. And that's that's the one thing for me. I mean, there's one exclusive on that li- on that list uh, that you didn't mention, but it's called Guilt, G Y L T, made yeah. by Tequila Works. Yeah. I I believe they're the ones who made Evil Within. I can't remember. Um, but it's like an indie game. But mm-hmm. in terms of triple A's, nothing, nothing, not a single triple A. Granted, the triple A's they have announced are a pretty big deal. Yeah. Now, the question for me is there's a few things that I'm thinking about now. I'm a gamer too, but I'm also a collector. I like to have physical media, mm-hmm. not only for you know equity purposes because they, they either accrue value or they at least retain some value. So let's say when you're done with a video game, like a physical game, you can go and trade it in, sell it on Kijiji or Craigslist. Mm-hmm. There's some value to it. Whereas with, at least here in North America, when you buy a digital game, it's yours to keep forever. It's a bit different than the EU where you can actually resell games on steam i believe but we don't have those laws here so that's number one the reason why i typically avoid digital purchases because it for for, like why is a triple a like why is a full triple a game costing the same on a digital storefront as it does cost to go to walmart eb that that never made any sense to me um the other thing too though Okay, so how is this di- going to differentiate itself from what's out there right now? The, the PS4 is obviously dominating the market. It just, I think, surpassed 100 million units sold. Uh, incredible record. I don't know if it's going to touch PS2, but it's mm-hmm. it's creeping up on the Wii. You got the Xbox One out there, which has got a great adoption. Switches yep. really rising up. How is Stadia going to differentiate itself? Well, horsepower. Well, let's talk about what's running this here. When it comes to playing on your TV, what you're going to have is, I'm looking at the site here. For those who want to kind of look into this uh, themselves, you can go to store.google.com slash product slash Stadia underscore learn. And it really kind of breaks down everything that's going on here. Now, hardware-wise for playing on your TV, there's not going to be any actual console. What you're going to have is you're going to have a a white, very Xbox-ish kind of controller going on. And to connect to... The cloud, you're going to be using a Chromecast Ultra. This is the only two pieces of hardware that you're going to need. Obviously, you're going to need a wireless connection to, to play. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting here. If you go scrolling down, um, you're going to be able to play these games up to 60 frames per second at a 4K resolution, a high support for high dynamic range and 5.1 Dolby surround and you go a little bit further and you can actually test your internet connection and the the guidelines for um, being in here are, are rather interesting to be able to play at 720p at 60 frames per second you need at the very least a 10 megabyte per second download speed to get up to to 1080 with uh, uh, the high dynamic range and 60 frames and then for Dolby surround support 20 megabytes per second and if you want to go up the way to 4k anywhere between 30 to 35 megabytes per second that is quite a bit lower than i was kind of expecting for that threshold to be given that you know we're going to be constantly streaming this none of this um, from what i'm seeing on this too that none of the contacts actually getting installed or anything you're streaming the whole thing so given that especially up at the 4k level that's kind of some impressive numbers there Absolutely. It's all going to come down to your <clears throat> to how fast your internet connection is. And I, and I predicted this a few years back. I think this was near the end of Joyce's Justice League. I yes. did a video on on what I thought 
cloud computing was going to be. And I said, I said, I think five or six years ago, it's it's not going to be what's what's in your console anymore. It's going to be how fast your internet connection is. Yeah. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. I, I'd say here in North America, we're, we're doing okay. I'd say you and I both have, if we were to do the Stadia Leap, mm-hmm. we both have feasible connections to get this up to 4K. Yep. But I'm thinking about other regions of the world where they don't necessarily have those kind of bandwidths. Um, what's their experience going to be like? And the other thing that's interesting about this too is that there's two different packages. There's yes. the Stadia Pro. And then there's the Stadia base. Mm-hmm. To actually get these higher resolutions, you actually have to get Stadia Pro, Correct. which is going to be $9.99 US a month. And that's just the subscription fee. That has nothing to do with actually purchasing these games on top of that. But like PlayStation Plus, for yeah. example, you do get, I think, a couple of free games that you can add to your library every single month. Yeah. That said, if you don't want to give into this whole Stadia Pro subscription, you can get the base Stadia, but then your resolution and your frame rate might be a lot lower and not <clears throat> quite up to even current gen standards. Yeah, and, that, and that's the interesting thing there. If you go with the basic package, are, are they going to throttle you? And now, now, for those who aren't aware, when I say throttle, I think we should maybe kind of explain that too. When it comes to your internet connection, uh, there's various reasons why your provider can throttle your speeds. Uh, if you're behind on your payments, uh, they can kind of throttle your speeds. Uh, if you're at times where you're at a busy p- at a peak time and everybody's trying to access, your speed's going to get throttled just logistics-wise. I mean, you're sharing connection, uh, whether you have a fiber, uh, direct fiber connection, which most of us don't have. So I'm just wondering that basic, is it going to be... I think people are just going to have to go with the pro if they if they want anything that's going to work halfway decent. Yeah, the other thing. Okay, I I, I was searching for this. I and they meant they kept stressing no downloads into no streaming. Downloads. Now that it, my question is, can you still download the software physically? No, you can't because I think about it. What are you, so. you going to download onto? You can't download onto your Chromecast. So at this point, you are dependent on the cloud. You are dependent on the on the technology and what. People on the other side who are, say, Nintendo fanboys, Sony fanboys, are just not into the whole cloud computing thing. Yeah. I want to be able to own my games and take them with me wherever I go. And yeah. what I get is what I get. Yeah. And that's the and that's the thing with with console players. We've always known, okay, we're never going to have it as good as PC players, for example. There's always been that PC battle. But at the same time, yeah. when I buy that PS5 next holiday, well, I shouldn't talk about that because we don't know any de- details. <laughs> Let's talk about PS4. Yep. PS4, once you get it, you know what you've got. Or the Xbox One, you've got it. That's the power you have. And you are on an equal playing field with every other person you play against on the PlayStation Network or Xbox Live or whatever. There's no have or have not in terms of how powerful your rig is or or how powerful your connection is. So then that starts making me think, Joe, is this even a, um, a competition thing with Sony and Xbox? Or is this more of a threat to Steam? Mm. I think that's more interesting. That is more because interesting. Because now, think about it, Joe, yeah. because what what do you have to pay now to get a good gaming rig? What, a, a couple grand at least? <sighs> at least. And that thing's only good for, what, 18 months? Maybe until it's at a date. Yep. That's all gone with Stadia now. Yeah. That's it. You're yep. paying 10 bucks a month, and you're paying for your actual games. That's it. You don't have to worry about hardware anymore. Yeah. So what happens to the PC market now? It'll, and the PC game market's already kind of been dwelling it for example if you go into and i mean literally like any electronic store game uh store and you look at their pc game section it's pitiful it's usually like two racks and it's got like starcraft it's got call of duty it's got uh 
Diablo and that's about it. So, you know, I remember when he used to take up half of the store at the game stores and now it's, it's, it's sad. And largely that is because of steam, but now the stadia thing is, I mean, if you have a good connection, you can do 4k gaming and all you need, if you're going to do on your TV is low Chromecast ultra in your controller. That's it. That's it. You're done. You don't have to worry about buying a high end PC or desktop or Mac anymore. That's it. You're, you're good to go. And most of us, like at least in the West, we have that connection to handle it. So that's where I think uh, a real battle is going to happen. Now, in terms of what's going to happen with PS5 and Project Scarlet for the Xbox, and possibly there's there's rumors that there's going to be a Nintendo Switch Pro mm-hmm. that might go 4K. Here's the thing, Big Joe. Sony has got a massive stable of franchises. Yep. So does Nintendo. Nintendo is the Disney of the video game world. You can't touch them. And Sony has caught up quite a bit in the last few years. Maybe not quite to the extent, but they've, they've definitely got their stable. God of War, yep. Uncharted, Ratchet & Clank, you name it, right? Google doesn't have those yet. Doesn't mean they won't, but it's going to take... And they have got the money, right? You, know, you, you see that you know Xbox, for example, has tremendously fallen behind Sony in this console generation, but they still have a bigger business than Sony does. So they have that money to go and buy developers like Obsidian, like they recently did. Uh, The makers of South Park, uh, Stick of Truth, and uh, Fallout New Vegas. And they bought, uh, I think they bought out uh, Ninja Theory. I believe so, That did... they did some PlayStation stuff, so they're they're bringing up they've they've got Rare. It, it's not to say that Google couldn't do the same thing, and it's it's not to say that indie developers aren't going to start jumping on Stadia like they have done with Apple Arcade, which is apparently very good and has some great exclusives. So, um, I I I think there's definitely a market for that, but like I said, I don't think it's going to necessarily eviscerate the console market at least no. for another generation, but I think it's definitely going to uh, provide a challenge to Steam. Now, that said, I'm pretty sure Sony's going to be taking notes from this. I, I'm pretty sure that the PS5 is going to be cloud-enabled. I believe that this is hmm. probably going to be the last console generation. But at the same time, people still need physical media because not everybody has the fastest internet connection. And when they're talking about these these game sizes that are coming up in the next generation with the 4K, yeah. already I think Red Dead Redemption 2 was, and, and the new Call of Duty were topping out about 100 gigs. Yep. Do you, like, do you have the time to, to download that? Wouldn't you rather just buy a disc <laughs> and, and install it? But then with yeah. cloud, is that is that even going to make a difference? So it, it, I'm very excited to see how Sony and Microsoft are going to respond to Stadia. Yeah, and you made a very interesting point there. And this is where gaming has really kind of evolved over the years. We started off, you know, for myself, doing uh, PC gaming where you had to, you, you bought the game, but you had to go home and you had to install it and you had to wait for the install to happen and then you could play. Then we went into the, the real heart of the console generation where you just bought the game, put it in, and you were playing right away. Then recently we went back to... Okay, we, we, we buy our game, we got to stick the disc in, and then we got to do this. We got to wait. We got to wait. It's like... Wait an hour for all the patches to, do- to download. I just want to play my freaking game, okay? Yeah, like, And it's... Now it seems like we're going back in the other direction. So, But with the key with Stadia and with the key with any console or any kind of platform is you need those exclusives. You need that killer app, that killer game that sells that platform. Without that, I won't say you're dead in the water, but you're not going to get the people drawn to your platform because if they can get that same game somewhere else on something that they already have, then they don't need to go and get that other thing. 
Right, Joe, because think about it. Red Dead Redemption 2, for example, I can already predict, like, when you when you, when you get the cloud involved on Stadia, you're not going to touch it. No. Like, PS5, like, PS4 version, Xbox One version, which is the technically the best version out right now, is not going to touch a cloud-enabled version of Red Dead 2 that potentially could be running at 60 frames a second, um, 4K. You're just not going to touch that. But at the same time, these people, like, Xbox Live um, and the PlayStation Network have established user bases are people really going to leave their user base to, to play on a different platform. But I guess, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's even a consideration because everything is going cross play now. Yep. Um, but like I said, everything's a subscription now. Are you really going to add another subscription to the field where you're already either when you're already or say um, PlayStation plus subscription or, or what's, what's Xbox have the, the thing where you get gold. You can stream every game now. Yeah. Xbox live gold is yeah. where we get the, uh, we get the four free games every month. So are you going to add another subscription? Yeah, yes, you will be able to play every game at its technological peak, but you don't own them. Yeah. And you, you can't take them anywhere. So I, I don't know. It's it's a, it's definitely a sign of the future. Google's tapped into something, but but I, th it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in 2020 when we see the competitors launch their products. And you had mentioned something, and you and I, Mike, we come. We're literally practically the same age. We're only we're only a few months kind of separated. I'm still we're very much of that old school of we like to have our physical games in our hands. You know, going to the, to the store, getting in our hands, and the anticipation of getting in there and, and playing. It's going to be really hard to kind of let go of of that to go with this cloud based stuff. It's uh, I'm going to be dragged into that kicking and screaming. I'll tell you right now, Joe. I think there's a lot more of us than than the internet or the media would like you to believe I yeah. I've, I've had to, I've had to put up with this for years. Now, all the people saying, Oh, consoles are dead. Physical media is dead. Everybody's going yeah. digital now. And if, if that's the truth, then why are all these limited run type of websites popping up and selling out of all their, all their physical media versions of games? That, that's a huge phenomenon. Now, why is the, why is the retro market resurgence happening? Why is PlayStation talking about potentially making the PS five backwards compatible with all previous physical media? Because yeah, there's a demand for it. They're starting to realize that there is a market for this. And, and like I said, like there, there's something about having the artwork about having that physical thing in your hands. Okay. Let me throw one more thing into the, the mix here. Yep preservation joe what happened to ducktales remastered mm. did you hear about that uh, it got taken off the marketplace really the the capcom's remake of the old ducktales game from nes recently got delisted from all stores why and what was the result why um there was no reason why i would say they are probably planning on probably re-releasing it okay. at some point like they're doing like for example they yeah. just put out that uh, aladdin and lion king I collection that, yeah. for ps4 xbox i think that their capcom's starting to see the value in their back catalog mm -hmm. so i could i it wouldn't surprise me to see maybe limited run get on, on that release but for now until we hear otherwise the wii u version especially of ducktales remastered has shot up in oh, value yeah. because that's the only way you can play it now. I mean, if you hmm. purchase it already, fine, you can re-download it. But for anybody who has not played DuckTales Remastered or say Scott Pilgrim versus the World or Turtles in Time Reshelled, and there's a growing list of games that you can no longer play. PT, great example. Yeah, great yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. PS4s yeah, that so have PT that. installed on them are going <laughs> for like six, seven hundred dollars oh. on Amazon right now because that's the only way you can play that. Once these games, this digital ether, once these are gone, they're gone for good. So yep. for me, it's nice to know I have that physical game where 10, 15 years down the line, when I have a nostalgia kick, I can just plug it in and play. 
By the way, two-pronged thing here. Um, if you want to go back and, and, and watch something about that, people have been asking me since our first episode, Mike, about Joystick Justice League. It, it, it still exists out there on, on YouTube. You can go still look up that channel. Oh. The videos are still there. <laughs> and not too far from the top, I'll maybe a little ways down, there's a video of you uh, reacting to this in real time uh, of PT, so make sure and go and check that out. Uh, I've actually watched that shortly before we recorded, and uh, it's, it's still gold. <laughs> gold! <laughs> that that was very real. That was yes. a very real reaction. And so it's a sad, it's a shame that um, we didn't we didn't get that instead of what what just came out this month. But anyway, that's yeah. that's here nor there. <laughs> okay, so moving on from some gaming stuff here. As we mentioned, we we are both gamers. There's going to be quite a bit of gaming talk coming up on the, on these shows. Trust me. So going from that to I think it's going to be an interesting topic here. And how I have this topic worded on the run here, Mike, is self-driving vehicles, wave of the future or future disaster. Now, I don't know how much of this you've looked into, but the, the main one that I've, I've looked at is Google's attempt to at this, and it's called Waymo. And I've watched a fair amount on this, and it's very interesting. It's very cool technology-wise. I don't know still all the stuff that I've seen about this if I want to be a, a passenger in the backseat of one of these vehicles. I, I, I think I would still want to be within reach of that steering wheel and that brake pedal. Well, for now, you have to be because I was reading actually um, – I was actually looking into it on a local perspective. Like the first, okay, when I started researching this topic, the first thing I did was go on YouTube and look up self-driving car accidents. You know, it's just yep. me, me being there curmudgeon. <laughs> and I think there was a fam- there was a famous one that a lot of people, I think it happened in Arizona. That's where most of the testing is being done, yeah. Gross, gross footage, actually. This, this, uh, this rather large woman is sitting behind the wheel <laughs> because right now there's, there's five levels of automation. Yeah. And I think from level zero to two, it requires a driver to be in the vehicle. So you have a five to 10 second reaction time where if something goes wrong, you have to take control of the steering wheel. Well, this woman's on her cell phone oh, and no. the warning's coming off and she ends up, the car ends up just smoking a lady on a bicycle and killing her and and you see just the, the the horrified reaction and if she hadn't been on her cell phone she maybe could have noticed this and taken control of the wheel but wow. even then like who who knows um there's there's so many things that have to be done like to change infrastructure to uh, okay we live in Canada, Joe. I, I was do. reading about uh, how Uber now is investing a whole bunch of money in Toronto to do self-driving uh, car research. I think over 200 million. They're going to open up a new research lab over there too. There's actually um, a special subdivision of Scarborough, which is going to be the testing grounds for this. Oh, good. Yeah. I think it's called the West Rouge District of Scarborough, <laughs> and they're they're going to start launching self-driving cars. We live in Canada, Joe. We got a lot of snow here and a lot uh-huh. of bad weather. Yes. Yep. And. I will say just briefly, uh, before you continue there, at least they're picking the right part of Toronto. All I will say is, uh, thankfully, they're not testing this in Markham. <laughs> we'll just keep that an inside joke. We'll keep just keep that an inside joke right between the two of us. Uh, just, just you can just you can you can uh, go with that as you as you will. You yeah. Can, okay. For, for, for those, well, you know what? I'll just say it. For those who aren't aware, Markham is a very high Asian population. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so unfortunately the self-driving vehicles don't take into account bad drivers folks so we still have that yeah. human or, element or, or pedestrians to be to be honest that's yeah. the, the thing you know and pedestrians are just as bad as drivers in most cases and that's the thing too we're relying on technology here and when technology works great when it works it, things are fantastic but even i'm watching the process uh, of, of how 
these vehicles, and I guess even as a passenger, you can kind of see all this kind of unfolding on the screen where you can see how it's making its decisions. It's seeing the other vehicles on the road and seeing pedestrians and it's, they're showing them as blips. And, and so far, uh, most of these, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that these vehicles that are doing the self-driving, that they're already going on predetermined kind of paths uh, that they've already ran before. So it's almost like they're kind of on a track, but what happens if like, through you're at a perpendicular intersection and a vehicle just decides to sail through is this automated system going to be able to pick up that kind of stuff on the fly and go okay we need to stop or we're going to get blindsided or broadsided here by this vehicle that's just deciding to sail through this intersection i don't think we're at that point yet because unpredictable things can happen on the road it's gonna it's gonna take a massive rewiring of our infrastructure massive retooling like we're gonna have to change the whole we look at roadways about cities and and to be honest joe um you know my brother's in urban planning and he's kind of on the ground floor of a lot of like what's going on with urban development and what's going on with our cities and in london where i live london ontario what's happening with our downtown core is they're slowly taking away your right to drive there Mm-hmm. They're they're finding every excuse for you not to drive your car downtown. Really? Whether it's uh, narrowing the roads to allow for for buskers and art festivals, taking away parking and building residential developments. And I was even watching some some hype video from some some realtor, some young hotshot realtor in Toronto. You know, who's who's totally down for all this and thinks it's going to be great. The one thing I kept um, noticing from his hype was that, oh, it's going to be great for people in cities because we don't have to use cars anymore. We can just call up a car when we need it. And I'm starting to think that major cities are are eventually just going to become hubs of self-driving cars where where normal, um, traditional cars won't have access anymore. And it's just going to be this own little hub. And, you know, somebody might argue, say, okay, well, if you want to go to the theater, you want to go see a sports game downtown, why can't you just take the bus? Why can't you take an Uber Mm -hmm. instead of having to drive your car? And okay. um, Have you ever been driving around in the winter with your (laughs) girlfriend or significant other and then say, Hey honey, we got to go walk eight blocks. See how well that goes for you. (laughs) Seriously. Come on. Like you don't have the freedom anymore to go on a Friday night, your hot car, your hot girlfriend and to to cruise downtown. (laughs) Now you got to go in these little, these little toaster ovens. (laughs) It's just just a way of segmenting our city further. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I think it's um, technology-wise. I mean, when you look at it, you know, on a YouTube video or not, it's a very cool concept. There there, there is some interesting stuff kind of going on there. But is this really practical on a large scale at this point in time? I got to say no right now. And I think that we're still years and years off for this really to become wide scale and for it to be just safe to do. I see one of two scenarios. Number one, the rest of us are going to have to adopt and all cars are going to have to be fitted with some type of technology that speaks to all these self-driving cars so that when something goes wrong, our systems are going to take over too, which, you know, I, you're already starting to see that. Like my, my new Honda Civic has all these features like lane assist and, mm-hmm. and you can, you can, you can turn up the automation as much as you want. But then number two, like you're saying, Joe, you know, life happens and in human error and pedestrians will we even be able to drive alongside these cars at some point number one i think at some point they're gonna have to have a dedicated lane for these self-driving cars and that's gonna be it maybe on the far right hand side of the road or something but even then to to really 
truly exercise safety, I think you're just going to have to eliminate manual driven cars altogether. And then that's when the 5G comes in. So that all these self-driving cars have to be able to talk to one another. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how I feel about this. I obviously, I think there's benefit to people with disabilities who, sure. or to people who can't drive themselves around. I don't buy into this whole, Oh, I'm so busy. And I need to, to be on my cell phone or my laptop <laughs> and, and increase my productivity. No. Oh, boohoo. You know, yeah. people got along just fine before this whole self-driving car age. Maybe you just need to manage your time <laughs> a little bit more, but for people with disabilities, that's fine. But then I can also see this becoming a social justice issue down the road yep. where if cities don't adopt this, now all of a sudden you might be accused of a hate crime because you're not catering to people with disabilities. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's... that's yeah, maybe I'm going a little too far there, but, but you can kind of see where this might go, For right? Sure. Uh, as to how the, people might get strong-armed into this, whether they like it or not. Let me word it to you this way. Have you ever been... Uh, I know I've been in the situation, probably the majority of our listeners have been in the situation. Have you ever been in the passenger seat with somebody driving who is just awful. <laughs> of course. And then you're you're pumping that air brake. You wish that there was another brake pedal on your side of the car or whether you're riding the back seat. If we're going to have these self-driving vehicles, I think we need to kind of have that emergency thing there where it's, okay, maybe my my self-driving vehicle just got a computer virus or it's being hacked, and I need to stop the vehicle now. Because if oh my we just gosh, were, if, you just mentioned something so. I totally forgot about hacking. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, 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 I ask Michael Hastings what he well the 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 late Michael Hastings what he thinks about car hacking. The the Rolling Stone journalist <laughs> yeah. who had his car hacked and ended up crashing to a tree. That's that's so, oh that's a great. I didn't even think about that joke. Good one, <laughs> right? Yeah. Here's me getting all conspiratorial again. That's but okay. for the time being, I know that they still have to have an operator in the car yeah. because there's there's five levels as I mentioned. Level zero to two of automation requires mm. a person in the the car levels four three to five we haven't reached yet they're coming that's where they're testing in toronto and other places yet but for Mm -hmm. now there still has to be somebody in that car but like i said people are easily distracted we already saw what happened with that woman just on her cell phone for a few seconds didn't know there's a bicycle rider in front of her and goodbye Mm -hmm. yeah yep it's something that i'm sure we'll be talking more about this as uh, shows like every year like ces happen and whatnot there's always stuff like this that we see and if we see some cool standouts we'll definitely be talking about them on this show but i guess a practical application where i think we're still we're still years and years away before we have the blade runner scenario of self-driving vehicles driving all over the place Mm -hmm. so Okay, so going from that to kind of our, our, our tech, t- tech tip of the week. Wow, that's a bit of a, a tongue twister, I just realized. When it comes to, we just mentioned security and hacking and whatnot. This has to do with two-factor authentication. And I do get quite a few people that, that message me or that I talk to. Or they've, they've had issues, you know, when it comes to their, their, their banking or when it comes to, like, PayPal and some of these kind of situations where they've been kind of compromised or even some of their social media stuff has been compromised or their Google account or their Apple account. Two-factor authentication, I think at this point, for for most people, I think it's something that people really need to look into. I do it on the majority of things. What what about you? Yeah, I do use it as well, obviously, for for banking. Um, I know, for example, with with TD, they now have gotten away from the security questions and now... Uh, make you text yourself a, a six-digit security code every time you log into a new device. Yep. Tie it to your email. Uh, it's you know that's the thing. You know I've I've heard that people can still intercept these uh, 
even that, but even then they still have to break your password. So it's, it's a pretty, yeah. pretty strong way to protect yourself. I, yeah. I highly encourage it. Yeah. Cause I, 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 I've had, you know, not just since the last show, but it's something that, um, anybody who I talk to about technology, that was, I hear kind of mention of where they've been compromised in some respect. Like I just, Two-factor authentication. Just protect yourself. It, it can be a little bit of a pain, but going through that extra few seconds to, you know, whether it's pr- to protect, like you said, your bank account, whether it's to protect your Google account or your social media account, especially if you're somebody who likes to kind of be a bit of a kind of a douche on social media, you might really want to do two-factor authentication then, just to, in case you, you do get <laughs> hacked on there. But uh, you know, some of these keyboard warriors. But uh, yeah, two-factor authentication is a great thing. I make good use of it. So I always, and I one thing I noticed it. too, when you brought up that topic on the run, um, when I looked this up, I didn't even realize that Google and other companies had started putting out physical keys that that, that they actually argue is even nice. better than two-factor authentication. Uh, for example, Google put out a Titan bundle. I think it's like 50 US, and it's literally a physical key. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, for example, in the banking world use these when they use their laptops remotely. Yep. That it times out after a certain period of time, it, it auto regenerates new encryption keys at, at regular intervals. So, the the good thing about this is this this is something you can physically have on you, and it can't be hacked unless you literally lose it. Um, so that's something you might want to start looking into. I know Google, like they said, they're doing their Titan bundle, and also um, I also read that Ubico has keys for as little as twenty bucks. You can get on Amazon. So something you may want to start looking at if, uh, especially in this this new day and age of of greater and greater scams. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's almost a segue in itself into what's going to be our last topic here. When it comes to scams, when it comes to antitrust, when it comes to a lot of bad kind of stuff, we're going to get into it. And it's going to surround a certain company, which I won't name yet, to just to kind of keep the suspense here. So we're going to take a brief break here, Mike, and we're going to come back with our final bite segment. This will be a very interesting one. Stay tuned. Let's get ready. Rumble. This is Big Joe from Terminal Talk here, and you're listening to HTM Tech right here on the HTM Podcast Network. All right, guys, Big Joe and Mike back here on HTM Tech. So, Mike, it's time for our final bite segment for the week, and this one is very interesting, very topical, and I have something that's right up your alley. I know that you've talked about this on your podcast. So really kind of want to delve into this week. And we, of course, are talking about Facebook and the the positives and negatives and all the kind of shenanigans kind of going on with this company. Now, before we get to a lot of the the kind of negative stuff, which will be the majority of it, trust me, when it comes to the positives, it is a good way, you know, for content creators like ourselves, you know, with the HTM podcast, it's a great way to kind of get our voice kind of heard out there by people who are looking for us. One thing I will say with social media, Facebook in particular, Twitter, is that it is a good way to let our audience know kind of what we're up to. 100%. 100%. Yes. A uh, great way to create a community and to engage it. Well, in, insofar as, as you're, you're towing the line and, and doing something that isn't too, too crazy. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll get more into that later. Yes. Uh, also, I, I always, it, traditionally, it's been a great way to connect with, with family and friends that are overseas that you don't necessarily see all the time. Yeah. It's a great way to remember birthdays i don't i don't know what i'd do without without facebook in mm-hmm. terms of remembering major dates and stuff like that so it's it's cool yeah. um keeping up with at least mainstream news and and you know the algorithms do direct you to stuff that's related so there's there's definitely some positives there yep but 
Having said all that now... There's always a but. There is. There's a big but here, and not the kind of but that some people might be thinking about. When it comes to Facebook, big Mike, there... <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I went there, but anyways. It, it's <laughs> there. There's so much crap and shenanigans going on with this company, like on every front. Uh, I mean, just... It, it's it's almost like, and even now we're we're getting into this portal kind of stuff, which we'll we'll kind of get into because that's really has me kind of concerned. It's like this company, as much as they kind of want us to kind of think that they're helping us, it's it's almost like they're on the self destructive trying to torpedo their own kind of self, uh, product at the same time. It, it, it's it's really odd and kind of interesting to watch at the same time. Yeah, for, for my stance, and, and to be honest, I did deactivate my main Facebook account a few weeks back, and I'm yeah. not looking back. I, I have a sub-account now that I use to you know communicate with you and mm-hmm. read, read mainstream news, but I found, um, especially since 2016, uh, a special year for a certain reason, mm-hmm. that Facebook uh, started to clamp down on free speech quite a bit, and, that all, mm-hmm. and I'm referring to the election of Donald Trump yes. in 2016. A lot of things changed. It wasn't just Facebook. Uh, Google admitted on, on hidden camera that they had to change their algorithms to to prevent another Trump situation from happening in 2020. So um, the election of Donald Trump definitely changed the way we look at social media and the sharing of information in general. Yeah. For me, the biggest um, nail – well, not a nail in the coffin because they're still around, but one of the biggest um, signs of, of Facebook's impending demise was last summer – when they, along with uh, several other major big tech firms, decided to all, within the span of 24 hours, ban Alex Jones yes, from Infowars, yeah. uh, the famous um, you know conspiracy theorist mm-hmm. who love him or hate him, he he has a voice out there, and and uh, I think everybody has has a right to say what they have to say, regardless of whether you agree or disagree, because who are we to decide what hate speech is? But Facebook has has taken that that. Uh, that rain now and just and try to decide what constitutes hate speech and what what Mm -hmm. constitutes uh you know uh, fair practice on their platform so now it's not only alex jones but basically anybody who tends to be conservative minded or anti-establishment or even pro-trump we're slowly finding these people either shadow banned where and if, if your audience doesn't understand what shadow banning is, it's basically you're posting into a void. You you, yeah. fe- you think that your followers and so friends are seeing like what sometimes. you're posting, but yeah. you're actually getting scrubbed from their timeline. So, yeah. and the whole idea is a psychological tactic to make you think like nobody likes you anymore, yeah. and to to basically disincentivize you from posting, which is essentially what happened to me on Facebook. I mm-hmm. went from massive engagement, and then in the Trump era, overnight. Boom! Like I just like no no engagement whatsoever to the point where I just kind of dropped the platform because it wasn't working for me anymore. So. You've got Facebook, which is this platform, so to speak, yep. acting like a publisher now. Yeah, they've gotten into many uh, different things. And, and just kind of briefly, too, whenever you see, and this is one thing that I've really, really picked up, whenever uh, Zuckerberg in particular has had to kind of sit in front of a group of people and kind of answer questions or to kind of justify kind of what's going on, and you watch him just conversing, he looks nervous and just skittish as hell like you can tell like he's just uncomfortable in his own skin when he gets kind of asked anything that's marginal and he's a flip-flopper too uh yeah. especially i'm seeing recently now with uh this whole okay so fa- twitter recently uh, jack dorsey of twitter basically said that as of i think today i think it was today that twitter is gonna be banning all political ads 
Okay, so basically mm-hmm. now anybody who's running for any campaign can't get mm-hmm. access to that treasure trove of data to have specific marketed um, ads towards their their targeted demographic, whereas Facebook took more of a hands-off approach to that. And then when Zuckerberg went to confront the Democrats in the Congress, he basically had his ass handed to him, yeah. uh, essentially saying that he was killing democracy. So now they're considering putting limitations on political ads. And there's, there's, there, I think Zuckerberg is just kind of f- swirling down the proverbial toilet now. I, I, I think he's he enough people distrust Facebook in terms of their handling of data, privacy breaches censorship which more and more people are are starting to understand that's happening now and i think he's trying to fight his way out of a paper bag where i I think they they say that the user statistics are growing and growing but personally i don't believe that it's kind of like these these election polls i don't believe them anymore when i hear these statistics because more and more people i know personally are starting to disengage from facebook now they're Mm -hmm. not they're, they're complaining more about it it's they're not finding any use for it anymore and even by their own admission now, even Zuckerberg says, you know, yeah, you know, we haven't done the best job with your privacy or your security and whatnot. And then now we're getting into, uh, uh, I believe, uh, some models of the story starting to come out with, with Portal. So what, what they what they want us to do is take this company. Okay, we've we've admitted now to, to your face, essentially, that, yeah, we don't have the best track record. Now we want you to bring this device into your home that that has a camera that ha- that has a microphone and just trust that we're going to do the right thing with it okay um no i i, I think i'll pass yeah cuz it's not just you anymore it's everybody in the room with you because as i think i talked about this on a, on an old episode of london rising my other podcast where portal uh, actually can follow people in the room that are around you and find points of interest so now we're getting into facial recognition and scanning like you said they're they're really loose handling of your privacy your data which is obviously being being sold to all these other third parties yeah it's it's i i i don't see people trusting this and i already see a lot of of hesitancy for for any adoption towards the service so i'm not sure where where they're really going with this yeah now the thing with this is that I, th- I think really the main reason of why this is still around with all the issues is that we just, we haven't, we don't have this other really great, I, I mean, th- there have been some uh, attempts at, at at neutral kind of social media sites, but nothing's really kind of emerged to really kind of stand out. So I think that's really probably the, ma- uh, probably the main reason why Facebook is still around just because uh, really they're the only show in town, essentially. That's a that's a hundred percent right, Joe. It's 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 peer, it's a little bit of peer pressure, knowing that okay. Yeah. For example, I tried going to Gab, and mm-hmm. I tried going to Parler, and it just doesn't have the numbers. And then it also because it's mostly people who've been banned off of these major platforms going there who tend to share the same views. It just kind of becomes an echo chamber. Yeah. It's not really fun anymore where you have all these diversity of opinions. It's like, I, I find these alternative social networks tend to be only conservatives, only libertarians, only Trump supporters where it just gets boring and nobody's yeah. really <clears throat> listening to each other. Yeah. But at the same time you, you mentioned in the run, uh, how does all this all relate to um, antitrust? Mm-hmm. Well, what was it? Um, what was that company that that Facebook bought in 2013? Onavo, uh, which was so. uh, let me see the first mobile market intelligence service based on real engagement data, and they were essentially they had this Onavo Protect app, which was a VPN, quote unquote, that actually redirected traffic 
through Facebook servers, which then logged the data. And this is how they were able to buy WhatsApp and essentially get the skinny on all their competition. So there's your monopolistic practice right there. And, and like I said, like it's, it's these underhanded anti-capitalist tactics that are that are out there that people know about. And and I think it's it's you mentioned the word butt. It's like a dirty butt. It's like this smelly smell this yes. this, this oh, skid mark lace yeah. underwear that, oh. that Facebook's reputation yes. has become where it's just just stinks and it's sitting there in the yeah. corner. You're like, I just want to burn it down, but right. it, it won't go anywhere because all these people that aren't paying attention to this stuff are still on there sharing cat photos and memes, yet most likely you're not nobody's seeing what you're posting anyway, because at some point what you may think is innocuous is going to be considered offensive at some point because Facebook yep. is the is the judge, jury, and executioner now. Uh, uh, and I'm sorry I'm going on a rant, but it's no, getting no, even no. worse now. Just the other day, yep. Tim Pool, yep. this uh, very centrist journalist on YouTube, got suspended off Facebook for sharing a news article about the unmasking of the Ukraine whistleblower, mm -hmm. for sharing an article about Voldemort he got suspended off Facebook. Mm -hmm. He is about as center as you can get. This is mainstream news. This, this, I, I don't know. I, again, Joe, like you mentioned, like it's great if you have a community that's innocuous, that's mm -hmm. not political. If you're on there having fun, but once you try to sh to, to talk about anything outside the box or anything that might be a little politically divisive. You're gone. You're out of there. So what's Facebook good for anymore other than just being being happy all the time? And and even just uh, on our own platform here with the with the HDM podcast network, our own Rick Vickery, who is uh, the other uh, host of hitting the, the hitting the marks processing podcast, he is a a digital marketer, and he had posted a bunch of stuff. Uh, advertising stuff for the clients that he works for, and these posts were, were were getting banned and removed because they didn't meet the 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 the, the community standards, and it was it's just I remember seeing the posts about it, and they, they were just advertisements for like restaurants and, and places like that. How does this violate some kind of community standard? Are you kidding me? Because Joe, because the the goalposts are always gonna be moved, and this is what I say to anybody who again thinks that any types of censorship is okay because maybe somebody mm. they disagree with is getting censored or blocked. Well, one day it's gonna be you, mm. because mm. you have this private company deciding what is is acceptable to say in the marketplace, and that. And we, and we know that these these authoritarians, they're never satisfied. They always have to find some new hysteria. Mm -hmm. So it's always going to change from day to day. And that's also follow the technology to itself, Joel. Yeah. I mean, when you go, when you see them trying to ban memes uh, and, and, and using and using algorithms to decide this, well, machines are pretty dumb. They don't get nuance. So, yeah, like you said, with, with the case of Vickery, even seemingly innocuous stuff, yeah. I, I, I just don't get it at all. There was one and recently... Yeah. There was Go one ahead. recently, and this is outside of Facebook. It was on, it was on YouTube uh, channel. Uh, guy, his, his name is Markiplier. He did, uh, I think it was a stream, and then he got um, some people to vote. I don't know if you've heard about this. He got them to vote with uh, with emojis, and basically, and then, and then his uh, his listeners were spamming with uh, spamming emojis in the chat, and then Google went and banned these people and their channels and even their Google accounts because this violated some standard of theirs. And, and so, like numerous and numerous people, and him included. We're having their not just their YouTube channel, but their Google account. Uh, you know, that's the, their Gmail. That's uh, that's all of their their music and their video content banned because they 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 violate some standard by posting emojis in a YouTube chat. 
like, wow, uh, this isn't just limited to Facebook. You know, there, there's some sketchy stuff going all over the place. But, you know, when it comes to uh, an alternative social media platform, what has me concerned, though, because I would love you know, some other one to kind of rise up. But I'm a, I'd be afraid of as some other independent company would come up with something that's very interesting. And then one of these companies, whether it be Microsoft, whether it be Google or whether it be Apple, as much as I love Apple, is going to see this and then they're going to just scoop it up and then and then make it their own and become another Facebook. Yeah, they either scoop them up or, or what they're doing with Gab, just try to get them censored outright by saying yeah. that they're a, they're a hotbed of 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 alt right racists, Trump supporters, so that we we can't have this platform on the internet. This is this is again why antitrust has to happen, why these these platforms have to be broken up, or at least where they're what's it Section two thirty. Um, that protects them as platforms from from litigation uh, based on what is said on their platforms, right? Well, here's the thing. Like I said before, if Facebook or Google or YouTube or any of these companies are going to say that they're a platform, if they're going to start deciding what constitutes correct speech on their platforms, and then they're a curator, then they're a publisher. They're no longer an open platform anymore. So that's fine. You're allowed to do whatever you want with your private company, but you need to be transparent about it. You need to let people know that Facebook is a left-leaning, Democrat-funded company, and this is the kind of people we want on our platform. We want people who aren't anti-establishment, who aren't conservatives, who aren't Christian. We just want people to know that you're not welcome here on our platform, and that here are some other platforms you can go to, but don't pretend like you're something else. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I definitely uh, I, 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 I get what you're saying, man. And, and the, the, these companies are just never going to be transparent about it. Uh, they're, they're, there's always going to be that that kind of facade there. But yet, you know, people like us, people like yourself, we know what's really going on. Very true. Very true. Hey, you know what? My, I think people thought MySpace was going to be around forever, and well, you know, <laughs> it wasn't. They they, no. they can all fall. They can all fall. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm not personally a fan of Facebook anymore. It has its purposes, but I won't mm. miss it if it's gone. Well, we will definitely uh, keep our eye on it, and and if uh, any major developments happen, you bet your sweet ass we will be talking about it. Yippee ki <laughs> All right, man. Well, that about uh, wraps up for this week. Uh, I, I don't think that I see any kind of breaking news. I, I've been kind of watching. The only, I guess the only thing to, to kind of make note of, we had mentioned on our, our very first episode with streaming services, Disney Plus, I believe today was the, the day that, that that launched. So there's a there's a ton of Star Wars content, ton of uh, Disney stuff out there. Um, it's not something that really kind of uh, appeals to me. I mean, the, the few Disney movies that, that I do like to watch out of nostalgia purposes, I, I have in, uh, in digital format here on my my book, my bookcase. I'll just watch them that way, as opposed to just paying every month for a bunch of stuff that I might not always necessarily watch. That's yeah, I come, that was, that's it was funny. It was a headline on the Drudge Report today. What was the headline? Um, it said uh, Disney glitchy rollout, user meltdown. So you know, <laughs> launch day, yeah, you've yeah. got you know millions and millions of users getting onto this. A uh, bunch of nerds need to watch a Mandalorian. And I think I, I think that it would have been really funny to see some of the some of the freakouts today from people who weren't getting their Star Wars fix. But uh, yeah. you know, I'm sure I'm sure they'll fix their technical problems. It'll be interesting to oh, see yeah. how that uh, how that rolls out soon. Day one glitches and stuff like that uh, aren't uh, exclusive common. to this. They're, they're commonplace. They happen all the time. All right, man. I think that about uh, that about wraps up. So I guess uh, barring anything uh, happening. In a couple seconds here, we'll end off this episode this week, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next one.
Ciao. Ciao.